0: emotional and mental pain has a stigma a stigma that we are trying to break this can only be done if we all create a conversation we all stand up we all speak out and most importantly we are all there for each other have a chat guys don't wait i'm your host lachlan island and this is the running from the shadow podcast (laughs) The Shadow Podcast. I'm your host, Lachlan Island, and joining me today is Dane Bird Smith, professional race walker, uh Rio Olympics bronze medalist, Com Games gold medalist uh, for the 20-kilometer race walk and a PB of 119.28. Uh is that still your PB, Dane?
1: That's the one. Uh yeah, London World Championships uh, 2017. That was a big race for me, but yeah, that was that's the quickest I've put down on paper now.
0: That's uh that still blows me away. That's uh, what's that roughly about three fifty five yeah, pace?
1: Just on just on about three fifty five, three fifty six pace.
0: Which is which is phenomenal. I think most people are trying to go sub ninety or sub eighty uh, for a half marathon, and uh, Dane's doing that walking. But how did you get into walking?
1: Yeah, so um, my background as a kid, I was growing up just doing all sports. Um, I was basketball, AFL, cross country, getting into my athletics. Um, happened in year 10 I was going out to a school athletics carnival and uh, the teacher who took us out to that actually had me on a shipment Friday afternoon detention and uh, we were pretty close to kind of nabbing the school's championship um, trophy and we needed a couple more points in the afternoon to be able to you know just get across the line and teacher came up to me and said look if you are uh, If you want to make a deal here, you can get out of your Friday afternoon detention, but you've got to do the 3K walk. And this is me going, I've never done this before. I've no idea how to race walk. I've literally just been, I've seen it at the track. I've been around it, but I've never had a go at it myself. Um, But as a kid, you know, you're like, yeah, I'll get my Friday afternoon back all good. I'll have a crack. So I laced up the shoes, went out for a 3K and uh, finished third. And got the... Uh, what school was that? Did you get the end up winning into the all schools? Um, no, because I finished third out of three. <laughs> so oh. I got li- no, I got literally no points for it. But um had a good crack. But it turns out finishing third got me, accelerated me to the, the regional championship. So I got a day off school and went on, you know. I'll have a crack. Let's go on to regionals, have a day off school and do another walk. And But this time round, I didn't really want to get my ass kicked that bad. So I... Uh, I spent two or three weeks where I did a little bit of training just in in secret and just doing my own thing. And then went to regionals, came third again, this time out of like eight or nine guys. Um, And that put me through to the States. And then I went to States and I did a little bit more training I came second. And I was, you know, I was getting the ball rolling and I was really starting to enjoy it. Um, Four months later from my first ever race, I, I won a national title in the uh, under 16 so I was um I was absolutely stoked and, and it was something where it was so rewarding to go I'm going to try and just push myself a little bit uh you know I had no idea about race walking I just it was just a challenge that I wanted to try and did a little bit of training I did it all off my own bat so it was uh it was super rewarding to be able to come away and, and win a national title and then from there it just kind of snowballed you know I was fell in love with just working, uh, race walking and, uh, you know, it, it was just a challenge for me.
0: And what did your mates say when you told them you were uh, going to be a walker?
1: Yeah, no, m- most of them were pretty supportive about it because they, were, you know, it was just like, oh, they knew the kind of journey where it started me off and that it was just hilarious, even for me, you know it was, it was just this hilarious like kind of progression where it was like, everyone knew that it was a joke and I was just getting off a school detention for it and then it was just something that we all saw that I was really enjoying it and really accelerating well at it. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things where, when you, when you start taking off and and doing well, everyone gets behind you.
0: And, and what about in, in sport as, as you see in all professional sports, there is times where, where things don't go to plan or, and there is times where things go amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, have you, have you had any experiences like that through your sporting career?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, probably my second international race in 2010 uh, I was racing over in Mexico at a world championship and I got disqualified and it was my first ever disqualification so obviously in race walking we've got the th- the, the two rules the bent knee and the contact and uh, three judges pulled me off uh, within about 5 k's of a 10 k race and um, that to me was a huge shock because I tried really hard to work on my technique I've, I've always you know uh, had a pride in in having a really safe and secure technique that I can that I can walk past the judges totally fine and, and there's no problems um, and you know that but that's part of our sport and it happens to so many guys at, at the top level you, you just get pulled off you know guys get to 19k ready for a gold medal and
0: we had the yeah. Australian girl on the Sydney Olympics wasn't it as yeah. she came into the stadium got a third warning and yeah.
1: that was Jane Saville back in 2000 so yeah it's 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 part of the sport and um you know along with that there's all sorts of injuries and stuff that come with it um that's just natural when you're just trying to push your body to the limits and you just kind of got to yeah roll with the punches and keep keep pushing forward and what about and highlights obviously
0: going to Rio with this Australian Olympic team yeah. that's got to be definitely up there
1: yeah massive that was um so my first ever Olympic team obviously um In 2012, going to, trying to get to London, I tried to make the Olympic team as well. Um, And I finished fourth in the Aussies um, and only the top three would go. I was fourth by four seconds. Um, So I was pretty gutted that I wasn't able to make the London Olympic team, but that gave me that kind of motivation to go, you know what, in the next four years, I went to my my dad, my coach now, and I said, in four years time, when Rio comes around, I don't want to just make the team. I don't want to be just, you know, just, just barely getting into the team. I want to be the fastest there. I want to be the fastest ever Australian to race in Olympics, and I want a medal. And then four years later, you know, I put the head down and, and worked every single day, training twice a day um, for four years. And and four years later, the rewards were there, and I, and I managed to do a PB, fastest ever Australian, and a medal at Olympic Games. And that was just unreal, absolutely just blew my mind and was just fantastic
0: and what about training wise for like you're saying you're training twice a day um what did did your training incorporate
1: so my my training um over the years i've uh, been building it up obviously um building the k's and building the loads as we go so it was uh our, our approach has always been smart training train smart don't get injured because the consistency is the key and so the way i've been working is that we kind of do double sessions in the day. So one in the morning, one in the afternoon, potentially one in the, at midday. Um, and this breaks up the case. So you're less likely to get overuse injuries. Um, you can put in more intensity into the sessions as well. Uh, and that's worked really, really well for me. Um, it's just, just the way you approach things. I approach things for, we are an endurance sport, but I approach them more from a strength and speed perspective rather than the all out aerobic endurance capacity. Yeah, and we've,
0: we've seen that a lot more with uh, endurance sports now yeah. uh, that a lot of them are turning to the strength training to mm-hmm. make sure that they can stay stronger and fitter for longer without risking injury.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, it's, um, and it's all about that. You know, in the end, you can really only get your aerobic to a certain point. It all comes down to that final push where you've got you know, the last 10% of a race is where people make the breaks, and, and that comes down to strength. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, and fast forward two years from Rio and uh, you went down to the Comm Games on the Gold Coast.
1: Yeah,
0: In front games. of a home crowd and uh, yeah. took away the
1: gold. Yeah, so Commonwealth Games was unreal. Absolutely crazy. There was It was a totally different atmosphere to Rio. Um, you know, home games. All my family were there. All my friends were there. The Australian crowd that turned out. It was something like nearly 5,000 people down lining the road for a race walk. And, it, and that is just totally unheard of. But the support was amazing. And then... Coming down to the final dying Ks, as uh, myself and Tom Bosworth, the English walker, were fighting it out, you know, the crowd was getting louder and louder and I was trying to put my head down and focus on the job I had to do, not get caught up in it. But I knew that when it came down to that last lap, I would use every ounce of energy that they had and they were giving me. And as I came around that corner with about 300 meters to go, they they absolutely just gave it everything. They the crowd just was so uplifting and I just poured it on I just responded and and it was so amazing to come down to that finish line with all the people there and uh and to be able to take a gold medal uh Commonwealth Games record and have Nathan Deeks who was a you know legend of my sport um he actually pre- he was the the record that I broke and he was the guy who presented me the medal as well so I was it was just a, an absolute fairy tale, really.
0: Some pretty special moments, and I suppose from anyone that does sport, um, to an extent, um, you, you do get that adrenaline um, from those fin- that finish line and the crowd as you as you're coming in. And I suppose it's one thing I like to look at when it comes to mental health is that crowd is our is our friends, um, and even though when we feel like it's done, we can't do any more. They can somehow still give us that push to to get to the end and, and, and yeah, push yeah. through whatever's whatever's coming up and I've seen a few things um, earlier this year that you did have a, a few
1: few rough rough patches following the Com games yeah so it was um, it really started like leading out of Rio um, you know they always say that there's a bit of a uh, post games blues which is you know you just come up to this massive hype for the last four years you've been focused on one single event And then that happens and you go back to reality. And reality is generally, whether you're successful or not, is generally gonna be less than what you expected. Um, And we had no preparation for that. I had no preparation for that. I don't think any of the athletes out there actually ever get um, kind of educated on how it's gonna be when you come back and you've just gotta fit back in with university, work, Um, relationships that you've put on hold for so many years trying to get to where you were and so it hit me a little bit hard after there and for the next year or so I was kind of just you know just going through the motions stumbling along just trying to keep pushing my training out Um, 2017 I actually had about 16 races in that year and every single race was a PB which was totally weird for me because uh london champs which we mentioned earlier is my current pv i was totally out of it you know um three or four months before it i was diagnosed with depression and went into that race basically wondering why i was even bothering um the last three or four k came up and this is usually where i'm my strongest and my competitive side comes out and i want to attack and i found myself in the last four or five k just going oh not, not bothered and I kind of let everyone walk away I came across the line for uh, fifth place and there was just nothing there there was no emotion there was there was nothing and I knew there was something like oh, there was seriously wrong for that to be happening for me um, so I took a little bit of time off after that just to try and recollect myself obviously Com Games was around the corner leading into the Commonwealth Games before that race I guess I was I was still a little just doubting myself. I was still in that cloud of uh, that shadow, the depression that was there and just kind of just trying to motivate myself every day and push myself to actually be able to take on the best guys in the world. Um, was so, so difficult. Um, I had the support of my 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 wife. Um, she was actually the only one that I would really opened up to other than speaking to a doctor and my psych- psychologist. Um, I didn't want to really open up about it at all, um, especially leading into a championship, because I was worried that my entire ideology of being an Olympian was being the absolute strongest. You're mentally and physically the, the strongest person in the world, and that's the only way you can win gold. And it was against everything that I kind of believed in to think of myself as a person who had depression. And I thought of it as as a as something that was bad, so as a negative, as it was something that was going to hold me back. Um, and it wasn't until I stepped onto the line at the Gold Coast, and in my head I, the thoughts were going, "Oh look, just roll through this race. Who really cares? You know, everyone will still be proud whether it's silver, bronze, or dead last. You know, it's a Commonwealth Games. So it's fine." And. All these thoughts were in my head and the gun went and I just was so pissed off. I was like, no, I'm sick of feeling kind of just feeling bad and and constantly talking myself down and and having that shadow there, just doubt and dragging me down all the time. And I went, this is my race. This is my hometown. I'm going to just go for this from the start. If I blow up, whatever. But this is on me and this is me taking control and I just went for it from the gun and I took these guys on. You know, the race plan before that was sit back and do just wait till the end. And I, I did and I made it my race. And it was so that's why I ended up breaking the record. It was it was so quick in such a hot, difficult environment. Um, and looking back now, I'm, I'm just, that's my proudest moment of the game. It's not the medal, not wearing the, the Australian flag across the chest. It was it was literally just taking a decision just to go, Nah, no, this is for me and uh and moving forward from there you know I've been in such a better headspace because I'm making decisions for myself and and having expectations from everywhere else just going okay that's great that everyone wants me to do well but I'm going to do things for myself and in my own way
0: yeah and and as you said before with that crowd coming to the last four or five k yeah even if things were getting hard you knew you, you were always going to have them to rely on um, as in a race on the last
1: class day to bring you home anyway yeah and, and they were fantastic you know it was um again i i mean a race is like life and especially with battling mental illness you know that you're going to have parts of the race where no one's there to really cheer you on and you're going to be struggling and it's going to be tough but you've always got to think okay where's the next point who who will be there to be able to support me and and people will always be there to support you and and to cheer you on you know that there were people at the commonwealth games who i had no idea who they were people i've never met before and yet they were there to cheer me on and 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 there will always be someone there in life to lend a hand or, or or an ear just to listen um and that's that's one of the you know one of the things i want to try and I've been trying to get across to the general public and to people who are suffering with any mental illness is that there is always someone who will listen, who will lend a hand a couple minutes just to see how you're going or or say hi or whatever. Um, and they're the moments that you try to grab onto because that's going to get you through when you're on your own occasionally.
0: Yeah. And as you said to me uh, earlier, you uh, had a chat to a fellow, fellow swimmer, a a swimmer, a fellow athlete uh, in the gym. And he, he really helped you out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was just this moment where this bloke I'd never met before. We were both in the gym and I was having a pretty rough day of it. Um, and I reckon he he must have just picked up on some vibes or just noticed the way I was going about it and uh, asked me how it was. And I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm all good, mate. Like, no worries. Um, and then he, he kind of went, yeah, like, no, nah, like, how are you? Um, do you want to go out for a chat? And I was like, oh, trying to brush it off, you know, because in my own head, this was before I'd spoken about anything to anybody. Um, I didn't even know what I was dealing with myself. And... He just kind of persisted a little bit more, a little bit more and was like, nah nah, chuck your weights down, let's let's go outside for a chat. And he was someone who had gone through some really dark times as well. And so I think he could just see that. He could see that shadow that was hanging over. You know, I've seen it before as well. I've I've now been able to reach out to some athletes and help them through or or just at least talk to them and be like, Look, go on, go and have a chat to this psych or go and have a chat to your doctor or family because Know, i i feel like you could be happier right now and and maybe you haven't realized it yet but yeah just and and that's small things like that a lot of people come back and they'll say yeah look thank you um and that's that's as small as it has to be it's just like a are you okay how are you doing and and it can change someone's day
0: yeah and and what about like especially in australia where like the media scrutiny is massive here mm-hmm. Like, do you find that added pressure doesn't doesn't help
1: the yeah. situation either? I guess when I first broke onto the scene of in Rio, um, I was totally unknown, so I had no pressure at all. Um, leading into Commonwealth Games, there was definitely that pressure to win a gold. Um, I think at the time, uh, I was very good at ignoring that, um, as I was kind of sinking into depression. I was moving a lot away from social media and everything anyway. Um, I just didn't really want to communicate or be involved with anything that was going on. Um, so in a way, that almost shielded me from the, the massive media attention that was coming with the Commonwealth Games. Um, but I know for a lot of athletes out there, it was, it was huge. There's so much pressure. Um, you know, the Australian public, are, we're so into our sport and we absolutely love it, but we have this hard expectation of... It's gold or it's forgotten about. And um, and that's really, really difficult for an athlete. You know, when you're taking on the absolute best in the world on one specific day for one race, anything can happen. And there's so many things that can go wrong or so many things that can go right, but you still only scrape in, you know, somebody else has a better day and you scrape in for silver uh, or bronze in my case. And But, yeah, it, it's... It's a kind of expectation and, and the media definitely pushes it further than what the general public kind of gives you. Um, and I think that's easy to for athletes to kind of forget about is that, you know, yes, the media is pumping them up as the next best thing and that it's going to be gold, um, but their family doesn't have the same pressures. and The people that actually care about them and the people that actually matter, you know, they're still sitting there going, whatever the outcome we're just bloody proud that you put on a singlet and you got out there for the country and had a crack.
0: Yeah, and that's whether you're wearing the, the national singlet or yeah. whether you're just, it's
1: your first ever race yeah. and, and put on any singlet. Exactly, and, the, and that's the separating the people that care from the people that are just spectating. Um, that's always a tough thing to do as well.
0: Yeah, and, and what about, like, I think a big thing for, for myself is when, like, recognizing when to help someone. Like, yeah. What sort of signs do you, do you see yourself when you... And, and that's when you sit there and go, I might have a chat and see how they're
1: going. Yeah, so it's always going to be... I think it's actually always harder to tell the people who are closest to you. Um, t- uh, as in to to understand when they're going through a tough time because they're going to be the ones who hide it from the people that they love the most. That's what, exactly what I was doing. Was the people around me were the ones that I was trying to put on a brave face and, and kind of, um, just be my, be my old self, um, or, or who I thought they wanted me to be. Um, and so that's always the toughest thing to understand was the people closest to you, whether they're struggling. But if you ever get into that situation where you see someone who's just there, either they're having a really bad day or you've noticed over the last week, they're just really down, you know, just going over and being like, how you doing? Like, um, just taking a quiet moment. Um, a lot of people, when you approach and you just go up going like, "Oh, how are you going?" They they're going to expect the the general responses just to be like, "Yeah, no, yeah, I'm all good, no worries." But if you're going over there a little bit softer and a little bit like open to just listening to what they have to say, and you sit down and you say, "How are you how are you going? What what's been going on lately?" Um, how are things at, at home? How are things going with work? Um, how are you feeling about things? Just asking a few questions that it leads them past the point to just blocking off the questions and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Um, you may always get to that point, though, where people will get frustrated and then don't want to talk about it. Um, I definitely had times like that, and and I still feel like I... A lot of the time, I don't want to talk about it with my mum and dad. Um, I just kind of brush it off, and because I'm in a better headspace now as well, I just um, But there, you know, in times like that, it's always good to still at least ask the question: "How are you going? How are you feeling?" Um, because that lets them know that 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 they are there for the times when you aren't feeling so good, and you would like to talk about it. Because um, there's always going to be those times, and and. That's, that can be tough for the people who are supporting, who want to make their loved ones feel better and, and they hate seeing them go through pain. But it's something that they, you have to understand from both sides that you've just got to be there. Um, just some of my friends, you know, would just take me off and we'd play Xbox or um, go kick a ball around. And that was their way of just being there um and take me take me away from myself for a bit um and yeah and and for my wife she was the one who I would I would chat to after the day is done and say yeah today was today was tough or today was a lot better um but it's it's very difficult to gauge and it's, and it's one of the toughest things about mental illness is is how to approach people and uh, how to handle the, the situations.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing for me that I sort of I sort of say to people a bit, and it's probably not the right right way to say it, but it's more if you're not prepared to listen to some listen if they do yeah. have a problem, don't ask if they're okay. Yeah. when you
1: when they say there is something wrong, and then you don't listen, it makes them feel that their problems aren't worthwhile. Yes, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, if, if you haven't got the time, then you you if you haven't got the time or or you're going through some struggles yourself. Probably taking on somebody else's pain is going to be too difficult. Um, that's one thing I found when uh, when I first wanted to speak up publicly and talk about my depression and what I had been through. Um, one of the first things I was I was working with the Australian Institute of Sport and their um, health and well being. Um, Staff And, you know, they're all trained experts in the fields of psychology and depression, mental illness and working with Lifeline. And and the biggest thing they were saying to me was, you know, during this time when you're still recovering, but you're speaking out, people will come to you with their stories as well. Um, You're going to be in a position where you can listen to them and potentially help them. But it is going to take a massive toll and so I found for, for a lot of people, I was able to really help them out. But for some people who were in the exact same situation and it reminded me so much of myself, I really had to say, look, I'm not in a position where I can handle this right now. Um, these are the people that you can speak to. I, I actually would get those people to call them to check up on them because I knew I couldn't handle it, but it was somebody who potentially needed that help there. Um, and it's something I felt really, really guilty for. But with through the talking with Lifeline um, and the experts, you know, they all said, you know, it's probably one of the best ways to handle it as well is to, if if you can't handle it yourself right now, get, an, uh, get somebody to give them a call who can handle it.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely, like, at the same time, there's no shame in not being able to handle that either. Yeah. Because we all live a busy life these mm-hmm. days. And yeah. And some of it, some, some people, they are not going to know how to react because at the same time they may they may be going through they've going through their own things or yeah. they just may not know the right words to say or think they're going to say the wrong thing, which is a perfectly
1: reasonable explanation to it as well. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, and it's I think honesty is the best thing. You know, if somebody, if you're une- you're not expecting it and somebody approaches you to say, hey, look, I'm I'm struggling right now. And you say, whoa, like, okay, I didn't know that. I'm so thankful that you came to me to tell me about that. I'm not in a position where I can help right now, but I want to help you. So let's find somebody who can kind of take this role and 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 be that kind of conduit. So it's not just like you're you're just palming them off. You're supporting them to find, you know, professional support because in some cases... If you don't know anything about mental illness, and it's some of the words you use, some of the um, some of the conversations you could have could actually have a negative impact, and that can be really scary. So I think the best thing is always do some research, talk to an expert, reach out to Lifeline um, or any of the any of the um, uh, charities that work with mental illness. You know, they will be able to just give you a quick five minute call and tell you about a few things that. Maybe things that you should avoid talking about. Um, talking about suicide can be um, can be a good thing, and sometimes it it you know it could just be um, scaring the person a little bit. Um, it depends how you approach things. It's it's really difficult, but and and you know I, I'm still no expert on it all. I, I'm still going through my own stuff, and I still reach out whenever i need help and when other people ask me for help i'm always asking for help from others to how should i approach this situation with these people as well um it's it's a crazy kind of way to waters to navigate with it all
0: yeah and and i suppose the message from all of this is the, wor- the worst thing we can do as a society is bottle up our mental illness yeah. um, and our mental health. It, it, is, it is important to be able to speak out and, and speak out comfortably, so speaking environments that do make us comfortable. Yeah. Um, and from that, being able to, that's, that's the key to being able to work through it is getting out in the open. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's almost like a rain cloud is always going to be black until it rains and then it's going to start
1: to lighten up again. That's it, yeah. And there's, there's no shame in it. There's no... You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with... Suffering or feeling pain Um, and from what you might think over the you know, you go, oh I've had a bad day maybe it's just having a bad day and brushing it off potentially it's, you know if it's several bad days in a row you should really be going okay, I'm I'm not feeling how I used to be and and thinking about your own emotions and taking some self-care it's really, really hard to do especially in this day and age when it's so busy but yeah, it's... uh, yeah, re- really tough to, to try to, you know, give yourself some, um, yeah, self-care, some, some love, um, but it's something we all need to do. And workplaces are, are come, have come a
0: long way, especially in the last 10 yeah. years with their mental health days, and, yeah. and obviously, uh, I spent a bit of time at Virgin, and we had uh, the Employment Assistance Program, which is 24-7, a free phone call to, to yeah. counsellors, and, and that sort of stuff is helping uh, helping a lot, but there's still a long way to go
1: before we can get the numbers down to, to zero. Well, that that's that's the goal now. Is you know, um, suicide is such a preventable. Um, it, it, it is so preventable to be able to um, to be able to just reach out and talk to someone. You know, Lifeline are there twenty four seven. They're constantly helping people on uh, with their hotline. Um, and yeah, hopefully one day you know, with awareness and being able to really really talk about what we're all going through um and be there and accept when people are struggling you know we we could definitely take this down to zero and and not have this as something that is it's just such a dark and scary kind of situation um that we definitely is, is is totally preventable
0: yeah exactly well, is there anything else you'd like to add, Dane? It's been great to, to catch up you and have a chat.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I guess, um, yeah, you know, yeah, Thank. firstly, thank you for having me on to be able to speak about it all. Um, yeah, out, out in the community, if anyone's out there, you know, um, struggling themselves or know people, yeah, definitely reach out, get some help. Um, there's always kind of that light at the end of the tunnel. It sounds cliche, but it's, it's definitely there and, um, yeah if if, you know as well i've I've always found that you know uh getting out and running being physically active as well have a lot of fun enjoy stuff get into these communities um for social exercise and and it's such a great support as well that kind of stuff to to just help you through day to day whether you're struggling or not so um get involved get a get around stuff you might be able to help somebody else if you if you get in get into it yeah, definitely well,
0: thanks again, mate, and uh, yeah, I' look forward to seeing you at the your next race meet.
1: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: from the shadow proudly brought to you by fractal running a local company with local knowledge of what runners want and bring you the best garments in the game hashtag why we run